Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, January 31st, 2021. It focuses on dealing with conflict and persecution in God's way. The message to all who will listen is that with the Spirit's help, believers can live at peace with others. Now here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Let's pray. God, thanks for, thanks for your spirit that teaches us and leads us into truth, and I pray today that you would do that. So grateful for, for your word and for Jesus, and I pray, God, that we hear, as we hear his words today, that you would change and transform the way that we act and think and speak, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen. So, last week, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs won their respective conference championship games, each team punching their ticket to the Super Bowl next week. Kansas City's win against the Bills last week uh, means that they'll have the opportunity to defend their 2020 Super Bowl win with a second ring. Now, I'm not sure exactly where you put the second ring. Have you seen the size of those things? Anyway, they're going to have an opportunity next week to defend their championship from last year. And the win for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the Packers means that for a record-breaking 10th time, Tom Brady is going to appear in the Super Bowl. Some people are excited about that. Others are not. Mr. Brady has been there 10 times, or will have been there 10 times. He's won six times. And we'll just have to wait and see if, as he's playing for a new team, gets a seventh Super Bowl ring. God forbid, right? That's what every Chiefs fan is thinking. No amens, right? Uh, no, God forbid. All right, anyway. All kidding aside, listen, we worship the Messiah, not Mahomes. We worship Jesus, not Andy Reid or Travis Kelsey or any of those other people. You can be a Chiefs fan if you like. Go for it. I, I don't have any problem with that. Wear your favorite team's jersey everywhere this week. Wherever you go, trash talk your Buccaneer-loving friends on social media. Tell the world who you're rooting for. But never forget, at the end of the day, football is not life. And it's not death either. It's just entertainment. At the end of the day, next week's big game is just a game. We'll watch it, care about the outcome, shout a lot as the drama unfolds, proudly display our team colors, and then when it's over, we'll move on to other things. So how do folks know a Chiefs fan? By number 15 on their jersey as they're walking around town, right? How do people know Jesus followers? It isn't by any kind of special garb or anything that you wear. You can't spot a Christian necessarily by their clothes or their hairdo or anything like that. So we're going to hear from Jesus. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 13. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love One another. Did he say that enough times? Did you get that? Love one another? Yeah. Do your neighbors know that you're a Jesus disciple? 
Can they see the love that you have for fellow believers and for them? Are your actions and your words filled with love for all, even for Bucks fans? Oh, wait, I told you you could trash talk them earlier. Sorry about that. You can't. All right. We're in Matthew. As I took a deeper look at Matthew chapter 5 this week, I noticed a recurring theme of reconciliation, conflict management, peace with others, harmony, all that kind of stuff. More than once, more than twice, more than three times probably, Jesus gives directions to those who want to follow God's way in dealing with others. He tells those who will listen how to live in harmony with their neighbor. He shows the way to deal with even those who are difficult, those who persecute you and insult you and speak evil of you and stir up anger in your heart and those who take you to court, all your enemy. He tells, it's all in here, we're going to look at it. But before we read any of his words, I've got a question. Do you need instructions in how to deal with interpersonal relationships and conflict? Oh, yeah, we all deal with it, right? We all have those moments when we're not quite on the same page as the people around us, sometimes the people who live in our own homes. So if we hang around people long enough, family members, coworkers, friends, any of them, that trouble's bound to happen because we're people, and people have people problems. We're going to get to Jesus' words, but first I want you to hear Paul's words It's vital that we understand what's going on in our inner being before we talk about how to live outwardly, how to act, and how to speak. So I want you to hear God's word on this verse. So Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 13 to 17. Could have read a lot more than this, but this will do for today. Galatians 5, 13 to 17. This is about what's in us, and what's in you comes out in the way you act. So listen. Verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Living at peace, we're going to talk about that today. Living at peace with others starts with our heart. You and your brother and your neighbor will never get along if each of you choose to live by the flesh. If you just follow what you do naturally, you're going to get in trouble. Those of us who are believers who have the Spirit of God living in us, we have to walk by the Spirit. It's only when we're guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit that we can humbly serve others in love. The path to peace with others lies in God-reliance, not in self-will. Self-will will fail you every single time. All right, having said this, we're finally going to get to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to hear what Jesus, our master, has to say to us. We're going to start with verses 9 through 12. There's lots of stuff we could have covered in this chapter, 48 verses or so. We're going to cover quite a few of them, but we're going to start at verse 9, and we're going to read through verse 12. We're going to find the blessed way to deal with those with whom we're at odds. So here we go. Matthew chapter 5, verses 9 to 12. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do you understand the implications of that first sentence? Jesus was saying as clearly as he could that happiness, blessed life, is the lot of every child of God who pursues peace with others. Paul echoed these words in, uh, in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21. All of chapter 12 is about how to get along in the church and with people who are closest to us. If you remember way back in 2011, this was the first chapter that I preached on when I moved here because I knew you guys needed to get along, especially if I was going to come and stir up stuff. But look, chapter 12 tells us how to live with one another, tells us how to get along in the church and with the people around us. The teaching Paul gives is inspired by whom? By God, right? All scripture is God-breathed, and that means that it'll teach us and rebuke us and correct us and train us in righteousness, So Paul has these inspired things to say. The last words of this chapter is what we're going to read. So we're going to read verses 17 to 21. Romans 12, 17 to 21 begins, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Revenge, repayment, wrath. These are the ways that ungodly men and women deal with conflict. Did you catch that? This is how ungodly people handle conflict. When evil's done to them, they repay evil with evil. Remember what we read in Galatians, what the spirit desires is contrary to what the flesh desires? This is one of those. God's way is to do all that you can, everything, as far as it depends on you, everything, to pursue peace and to make peace with people. You calm things down. Don't stir them up. You don't get back at somebody. You get kind to them. Is this hard? Sometimes. When I've been in the middle of conflict with something, everyone, everything within me, everything within me wants me to tear that person down. Everything that's natural. I want to lash out. I want to do to others before they do to me. This is the flesh asserting itself, and we resist the flesh, we resist the devil, and he flees from us, right? We have to resist that, death to the flesh. Seek peace, make peace. This is the way to happiness. If you're grumpy and and upset about things all the time, maybe you're just stirring up stuff everywhere. Stop it. Follow God. Make peace. Pursue peace. Did you catch that? Everything, as far as it depends on you, pursue peace. This is the way to happiness. 
If you will listen to the Spirit, he will show you the way to live at peace with others as far as it depends on you. Can't control how they react, right? You can only control how you live in love toward them. Jesus also says that the blessed life or the happiness that we desire is his gift to those who are persecuted and insulted and falsely spoken evil of because of him. Now understand this. He's not prophesying that you'll love the ill treatment of others. Anybody like being insulted? Anybody like having things falsely said about them? No, of course not. But he tells us that the Spirit will help us when we're insulted or maligned or trampled on because of our loyalty to Christ, because of our commitment to his righteousness. Your joy will come not in the things that are done by the persecutors, but from the hope that is held out to you, to all who believe. You will be, in the end, rewarded by God and welcomed into the kingdom. Whew! Rejoicing while under suffering at the hands of others is possible when you care more about what's eternal and little about what's here and now. Gladness in times of trouble comes only to those whose eyes are on the heavenly prize. Amen? Hear Jesus' direction. If you want to get along with others in this way, you've got to get your heart in the right place. Make sure your soul is centered on God and his kingdom, not on your comfort and ease. I think we can read more of Jesus' words now. We're going to skip down to verses 21 to 22. Be ready to be challenged further as I read. Know that as you listen, that God is, is going to help you to live this way. Jesus, our master, is speaking, and he says this in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. You shall not murder. Anybody vote for that rule? Yeah. In fact, in every culture, that rule is there or every culture that I'm aware of, it bans murder, right? Why is that? Because life is valuable, and we all understand that. We value life. We know in our inmost being that life is a gift from God, not to be taken away except when he decides, right? When we purposely take the life of another, we sin against God. And let me be very straightforward and clear. Though the truth makes many in this culture angry, abortion is murder. Aborting babies is wrong. It is not simply the surgical removal of a blob of tissue. Each fetus, no matter his or her stage of development, is not at all non-human. From the moment of conception, before there's a heartbeat, the being that is growing in a mother's womb is a baby girl or a baby boy. In God's sight, abortion is the unlawful taking of the life of a human being. This is true no matter what any court or president or legislature or king rules, no matter what a pastor or philosopher or scientist says, no matter what opinion you hold or feeling you feel. 
If you aren't sure about this, I urge you, let the truth of God be louder in your ear than the lies of the world. All right. That was pretty straightforward, right? Can murder be forgiven? Can those who've had abortions be saved? Thank God, yes. God is rich in mercy, and he can cleanse us, any of us, from all unrighteousness. And we don't judge people who have been in that position and made other decisions. We're just saying that if we confess our sins and turn away from them, God forgives whatever it is. Doesn't make the sin less sinful, but we can be forgiven, of course. God had mercy on King David when he had murdered Bathsheba's husband to cover up adultery. When Israel's ruler repented of his sin, his sin was forgiven, right? He had committed two crimes or two sins that demanded the death penalty. Both of them in Israel demanded the death penalty, the adultery and the murder. And yet God had mercy on him. So listen to the opening words of the song that David wrote after God's gracious pardon. This is the first 12 verses of Psalm 51. The whole thing is is what he wrote in response to God's forgiveness. He cries out, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness. Even in the womb you taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David begs for mercy and God gives it. Does God's forgiveness lessen the grievous nature of the king's actions? No. There were still consequences which dogged David's steps for the rest of his days. His heart was made right, but he still had to live with what he had done. And that's true for all of us. We're forgiven, but I still remember some things that I did that were wrong. And I remember the consequences, for my, not only for myself, but for those who I had sinned against. Though most of you hearing me today, I'm assuming, haven't killed anyone. Maybe you did. Who knows? Most of us have been angry with a brother. Most of us have shown contempt for a sister. If you haven't spoken a spiteful word ever, you're better than I am. I hate the way that I've treated people, the way that sometimes I've spoken evil of them. Don't you hate that in yourself? If you and I do not repent of the actions that we've taken angrily in the heat of the moment, we are as guilty as the man who takes another life with malice. We are as culpable as any woman who's ordered the murdering of her unborn child. All of us must repent of our sin, and we must repent without pointing fingers at others. 
You've heard the old saying, love the sinner, hate the sin. Christian comedian Mark Lowry suggests a better saying, and I completely agree with him on this. The saying should say, love the sinner, hate your own sin. Amen? This fits with what Jesus says when he says, take care of the plank in your own eye. Then you can see to help your friend who's got a speck in his eye. Let's follow Jesus' way and God's way and repent of our hateful ways, our harsh words, no more tisking, whatever that is. No more shouting, you fool. Only praying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and bless my neighbor. Amen? All right, we're going to read some more from Matthew 5. We're going to tackle the words found in verses 23 through 26 now. Hear what Jesus says to you and me. Matthew 5, 23 to 26. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So hear what Jesus is saying in verses 23 and 24. We'll take them first, and then we'll get to the others. The implications here are staggering. He's making it plain that reconciliation with someone whom you've wronged is more important than being in a worship service. More important in that day than going and offering your sacrifice to take care of your sin. It was that important to go and take care of that and be reconciled to your brother. More important than putting money into the plate or performing some religious ritual or rite. What does he say to the believer at worship who suddenly realizes that there's a rift between him and his sister or a friend? He says, leave your gift, go and be reconciled. Is there anybody that you need to make amends to? Somebody that has something against you? Somebody that you're not in right relationship with? Before you return to this place next week, or if God tells you to go do it now, go. But if you, before you return to this place next week and sing praises to Jesus and offer yourself to Jesus, you might want to take care of that. No more grudges. You do what you can. You do what it, as far as it depends on you. We said that earlier, right? If you've tried, you keep trying. Are you here in the Spirit of God? His word does this to us once in a while, doesn't it? Woo! All right. The next two verses are pretty practical too. You can't get any more real than this. Settle matters quickly with your adversary. If somebody's taking you to court, this is, this is God's instruction to you. It might not be your lawyer's instructions, but this is God's instruction and some of you have been there, haven't you? You've been sued by somebody. Maybe somebody accused you of something you didn't do. Maybe you got drugged into a courtroom because of an unintentional wrong, or maybe you just did the wrong thing and you're in a dumb spot because you're on dumb dumbness. And you're in trouble and you're sweating bullets. Whatever the matter is, settle matters quickly so that you don't end up in jail. Ask God for wisdom in dealing with this kind of thing. Seek godly counsel, do what's right, and the Spirit will guide you, he'll advise you. 
We're gonna skip the next few verses and read Matthew 5, 38 to 42. It isn't that we don't need to hear God's words on adultery and lust and divorce and making vows and all those other things. You can read those. Hopefully you've been reading those. It's just that we can't cover the whole chapter and we're kind of focusing on this theme of reconciliation and conflict and all those kind of things and maybe those are kind of connected there too, but we're gonna move on. I want you to hear what God says in Matthew 5, 38 to 42. These verses may challenge you a bit too. They're difficult to live out. Here's what Jesus said. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Eye for eye and tooth for tooth. That's the theme of a lot of popular movies. Avenge yourself. That's the message Hollywood puts forward more often than not. Directors make revenge seem oh so sweet. Sweet it is not. Jesus suggests another way, doesn't he? We'll get to his ideas in a moment. Let's go back to Paul for just a second in Romans chapter 12. It seems odd, but the odd-numbered verses in what I read earlier basically say the same thing over and over and over again. It says, do not pay anyone evil for evil. And that's verse 17. Verse 19 says, do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. And verse 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That last one, isn't that what Jesus is saying here? The guiding principle our master seems to be promoting is this. Respond more graciously, more generously, kindlier than expected. Which begs the question, how can we, his hearers, apply what he says to everyday life? Here's some ideas that as I was working on the sermon and praying about that, here's some ideas that that I kind of came up with and ways that we can obey Jesus' commands. When somebody speaks ill of you, Find a way to say kind words about them behind their back. Beats backbiting and gossip all to pieces, doesn't it? And it'll be rewarded by your Father in heaven. If a coworker borrows your idea, uh, offering it to your supervisor at their own, pile on additional ideas to help your company. God's going to sort that out in the end. If you're placed on hold for three hours by a government employee, Speak kindly to him when he finally picks up the phone. Being grumpy will put you both on edge all day long. Trust me on this. If a needy friend rings, don't ignore the call. Answer your phone and do what you can to help. You're helping Jesus every single time that you help the hungry and the thirsty and the needy. Isn't that what you read? God, help us to live this way. Far too often, I speak and act differently than what these verses say, more unkindly than I ought to. And I'm kind of stingy once in a while, and I don't like it. One more message from chapter 5. We're going to read the final six verses. This is verses 43 to 48, Matthew 5, 43 to 48, and Jesus is still talking to us. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
Love those who persecute you. Pray for your enemies. Those are pretty tall orders, aren't they? But they are orders, commands. And when you do what Jesus commands, you are proved, it says here, you're proved to be God's child. It's evidence that you're his child. Your obedience is evidence that you're living by the spirit and not by the flesh. In fact, don't miss this. The evidence that you belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ is that you act in awful light like your father. And here's how your father treats people. How God treats people. You treat the evil and the, un- and, and the good kindly. You treat them patiently and generously. That's how God treats people. He's really patient. Think about you. You treat those who reject and malign you better than they deserve. That's how God treats you. That's what Jesus means when he urges us to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. It's not asking you to be like perfect, perfect, perfect. Just telling you to act like like God, like the spirit of God lives in you. Listen, we get to treat jerks and Jesus freaks the same. Okay? We treat them patiently and with love no matter what. You get to be good to the good and you get to be good to the bad. This is God's way of getting along with people. What's going to happen as you're kinder to those who are unkind to you? Are you going to be in more arguments or less? Less, right? Will you see more conflict or more peace? God's way of getting along with others is the best way. So he tells us, we've already heard this. I'm going to repeat all the things we've learned today. Make peace, pursue it with others. Treat even the meanest persecutor with love. Pray for your enemies. Refrain from angry words and irritation-driven actions. Reconcile with others before coming to worship. Settle matters with the adversaries quickly. Return good to those who are evil. Did you catch all that? This is how Jesus' followers live among their neighbors and among their enemies and among their family. They love extravagantly with no expectation of love in return, knowing that they're already loved forever by the one that matters. That's why we can live like this. We're already loved. We're already accepted. We're already at peace with somebody. We're at peace with God. Live out the peace that you have with God by being at peace with others. Are you all in? Yeah. If you are, talk with Jesus for the next few moments. I'm going to give you just a moment to talk to him about maybe there's some relational struggles you need to deal with and you need courage to do that. Just ask him for that. Ask him for his help and he will give you what you need in order to obey his commands because his spirit lives in those who believe and his spirit helps us say no to ungodliness and yes to living godly upright lives. He helps us to do what he says. So let me shut my mouth for a few moments so that you can respond to what God's saying to you. Just listen in silence to what God wants to say. God, you told us through Jesus that 
people would know your disciples, know your followers by how they love one another. And we mess that up more often than we like. We repent of that. God, help us. Help us to love others like you love us. Even when they reject us, even when they malign us, even when they insult us and mistreat us, and God, help us to return good for the evil that's sent our way. Help us to bless those who persecute us instead of cursing them. Help us to pray for our enemies instead of hating them. God, help us to let go of past hurts, to forgive those against whom we've held grudges for years. Help us to make amends with those that we need to make amends with. God, help us to be children of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of this world. Send your church out to love the world. Compel us to love others. We pray this in the power of the Spirit and by the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Amen. All right, let me read what Jesus said to his earliest followers. You've already heard this today, but I'm repeating it. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Friends, let's show the world who we're following this week. Amen? Let's love friend and foe and neighbor and nemesis and all the people in between. In the name of the Father and in his power. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.